just a couple of moments this morning I want to again echo what has already been said and I want to give a great big welcome this morning to every single one of our guests and visitors that are in the house of the Lord would you help me one more time Rock Church uh, put your hands together come on we can do better than that uh, I need you to help me make some Holy Ghost uh, crazy noise uh, and welcome all of our guests that are here this morning We are so, so honored to have you in the house of the Lord with us this morning. We've got so many guests visiting with us, and uh, it is good to have Brother and Sister Morrison with us all the way from Memphis, Tennessee this morning in the house of the Lord. We're so honored that they would take a little bit of time. They, they drove all the way across the state just to be in service with us this morning while they're visiting. Amen. You know, when you find a good restaurant somewhere, you'll drive past a hundred other ones just to get to that one. <laughs> and uh, we're delighted that they're in the house of the Lord with us. It's good to have Brother Eric Chi with us this morning, all the way from Oakland, California. Amen. My good friend, Pastor Caputo, and the great church in Oakland, Oakland Tabernacle. Good to have him in the house of the Lord with us as well today. Amen. And uh, so many others of you here, uh, I, I've uh, uh, got word that we've got people from pretty much around the United States here visiting this morning. And we want you to know that we have a policy in this church. And I, I know it's rude to impose policies on your guests. You're not supposed to do that, but we have a policy that for us is very important to our guests, and that policy is simply this, that you are only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the door. After that, you're just at home. Amen, Rock Church? So I need you to turn around 360 degrees and touch everybody around you and just tell them, welcome home this morning. Come on, tell them, welcome home. Welcome home. They're in front of you, behind you. Come on. Don't leave anybody untouched. Just tell them, welcome home. Welcome home. Amen. We are just thrilled and delighted that you joined us today for Friends and Family Day and our Memorial Day celebration. Anybody excited about what's to come in the service today? As was mentioned earlier, when the service is dismissed, we don't want you to go anywhere We've got a whole bunch of food and fun for everybody right in the back of the campus. Uh, it's at no cost to you. We just want you to come and hang out with us for a little while today. And uh, it's going to be a great, great time in the Lord. Amen. And we are double honored today to have a very special guest with us all the way from Birmingham, Alabama, Pastor Stephen Collins. 
and the first family of new life in Birmingham, Alabama. Would you help me give it up and give a great big applause for Pastor and First Lady Collins and their beautiful family this morning? Come on, show them some Rock Church love today. I want us to stand all across the house as we prepare for the entrance of the Word of the Lord into this place. We is our custom to stand for the entrance of the Word of the Lord into His house. We would stand for dignitaries. Uh, we would stand for those who are honored if they were to enter the building today. And so it is that we stand in preparation of the entrance of God's Word into His house. Amen? And uh, we are delighted. Uh, Pastor Collins is pastoring one of the most dynamic congregations in the United States of America. Amen. And uh, he has served very faithfully over the years under the capable leadership of Bishop Sutton. How many of you love Bishop Sutton? Who is no stranger to this house. And not long ago, uh, the baton was passed to Pastor Collins, who is now the pastor of New Life. And uh, they are absolutely shaking the kingdom of hell. And they're, hell ra they're a bunch of hell raisers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got any hell raisers here this morning? If you thought I just said a cuss word over the pulpit, <laughs> you need to go back and listen to our service from last week. But they are turning the world upside down, and we are absolutely honored that they would take time out of their busy, busy schedule to be here with us. Now, I was just with Pastor Collins at a conference in Memphis, Tennessee this week. And when the conference finished, he and his family jumped in the car and drove, I'm guessing it's got to be 13, 15 hours uh, just to be here with us this morning. Now, I think we ought to preach his socks off this morning. How many feel, how many are you ready for the preaching of the word? Turn and tell your neighbor, tell him neighbor. Tell him neighbor. Tell him preaching. Tell him preaching is not a spectator sport. Turn to your other neighbor, tell him it's time to preach the word. Put your hands together and give God a great big praise as Pastor Collins comes to deliver the word of the Lord to us. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this place. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've got the Holy Ghost, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, you've got a reason to praise Him today. Why don't you give God a shout of praise? Magnify the Lord lift him up in this place come on he said if I be lifted up I'll draw all men unto me come on he is worthy of your praise praise God praise God <laughs> how many of you are thankful for a praise team and a bunch of anointed musicians 
who usher us into the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Well, it is an incredible honor to be here today and uh, with all of you. What an, what an incredible church. Praise God. My goodness, if I've ever seen anything busting at the seams with potential and power and revival and anointing, it is this place today. And, and you may be a visitor here and you may say, well, what difference does that make to me? Let me tell you what happens. When God anoints a church in a community, when God anoints a leadership in a community, that means that families that have generational dysfunction are going to be set free by the power of anointed preaching and singing and worship. That's hope for you, your mama, your daddy, your brother, your sister. I'm telling you, you may have somebody you know with cancer today, but when God begins to anoint a church, cancer is going to bow at the feet of the anointing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's why the writer said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Praise God. And it is so good to be with you today and to, to be able to feel the presence of God that we feel here and uh, your wonderful first family, this, this man, Brother Randy Williams, and his wife and his anointed kids, praise God. I am, uh, I am glad to be able to call them friends and, um, and comrades in the kingdom of God. And I, I'm just going to be frank with you. I'm, I invited myself today. <laughs> I told him when we were together recently, he was preaching at Power to Become at a conference in Birmingham. And I told him, I said, I need to go to Fort Myers. He said, well, go ahead and come. So I initiated this. I'm not, I'm, I may be the one preacher in the history of this church that invited himself to preach. <laughs> Praise God. But if you're hungry for something, you'll find a way to get there. Praise God. Yeah. But it is so good to be here. I give honor to my bishop and pastor. Brother Sutton is an incredible man and a great leader. And I've been, I've been sitting under his instruction and leadership all of my life. And I owe him an incredible debt. And he probably won't ever hear this, but I just want to say it because I love him. And, um, and he gave to me the most precious gift that I have outside of the Holy Ghost. And that is my wife. I'm glad she's here today. And then she gave to me two precious gifts in Taylor and Christopher Ashton. And I am, I don't know about you today, but I am full of the blessings of God. It's, it's pressed down, shaken together, and running over in my life today. Praise God. Let's go to the Word of God. Psalms chapter 137. Psalms chapter 137. And I commend this church, your worship, your faithfulness, and uh, your commitment to the kingdom of God. You have great leadership, but behind every great leader is an incredible congregation. And uh, it's, it's very evident that you love your pastor your pastor's wife and your first family and that you are you are excited about the kingdom of God 
in the city of Fort Myers, and I give honor to you today. Psalms chapter 137, beginning in verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they car that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then the question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall be shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. I want to preach for just a few moments on this title, The Unsung Song. The Unsung Song. Why don't you put your Bible down and lift your hands to heaven and let's pray. God, we pray that you would anoint the remainder of this service, anoint your people, anoint my lips, God. I pray that you would sanctify me, sanctify the house and every vessel in it. God, purge us with hyssop that we might be clean. Wash us that we might be whiter than snow. Prepare our hearts today. Every heart, every home, every family, every life for the going forth of your word today, God, and we'll praise you for it. We'll magnify you for it. We'll glorify you. Come on, why don't you one more time lift up a shout of praise to heaven and thank him and glorify him, God. We exalt you. We magnify your name, oh God, and we praise you in this place. In the name of Jesus, you can be seated in the presence of God today. One of the most important things that we have to do when we're exploring the Word of God is to establish context. I know this church has heard that before. From a macro perspective, the big picture perspective, many people examine the Bible from a Western mindset. But this can be problematic because Jewish culture and the Bible specifically is Eastern in its orientation. And so when we look at the Bible, we have to think in an, in an, an Eastern frame. And, and as, as the culture that was established by Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, traveled from the East, it began to migrate West and it began to influence the Western world. As a matter of fact, many... People believe that Jesus is the central figure of Western thought and Western ideology. And Judaism teaches that the Old Testament of the Bible is the most accurate anthropological book that you can find, which means as you study anthropology, you study the origin of people and groups and cultures. And, and I want to just stop and tell you that if you're in public school or you're in college, your, your anthropology professor might tell you that you know, the most significant anthropological events originate in the history books. But I'll tell you that the most important things that influence the history of the world are not secular in their origins, but they are biblical in their origins. The Bible is the most accurate and significant anthropological book. But the Jews believe that by the way of prophecy, by the word of God, the human story advances chronologically by way of epics. These are, an epic is a significant 
uh, event that changed the world. And they believe that through these epics, which are major transitions that shape human history, we can understand our own history and our, our individual and our collective history. And uh, they don't just believe that these epics are significant for the Hebrew people. That's the micro, the, the Hebrew people. But they believe that these significant biblical events are significant for the macro, for the human race as a whole. I don't want to stop and tell you it doesn't matter what color your skin is today. We all have the same collective origin. When, when you get all these cultures together and you begin to worship around the things of God, it synthesizes us. It's not, it's not something that separates us, our differences, but the Word of God tells us that there is strength in the place where, where the joints come together. So where cultures and people come together, there is a binding together when you get the Spirit and the Word of God in place. There is a binding. Our differences don't separate us. Our Differences bring us together by the Word and the Spirit of God. I can't get distracted today because I could preach on racism for a while, but I'm not going to do that. But suffice it to say, where you find an apostolic church and where you find a spirit-filled church and where you find a revival church and where you find an anointed people, you're going to find people that look like every race and every creed and every culture and every people. I'm telling you, if it don't look like that, it ain't the church, baby. It's some... It's some manipulation of what God intended when he poured out his spirit on Jew and Gentile and bond and free and rich and poor. Ah, you get a kingdom culture. That's why I don't like the term multicultural. That's not true. There's only one culture. There are multiple ethnicities represented here today, but there's only one culture, and that's a culture of blessing. That's why you got to leave your poverty mindset at home. When you come into the kingdom of God, you become blessed with Father Abraham. You become the seed of God, and you are blessed to be a blessing. You've got to open up your spirit today and say, God, everything that you have for your people, give it to me today. Give it pressed down, shaken together and running over. But these, these epics in Jewish history are, they are signified by, now we may not see this as we study the Bible. A lot of people when they, they get a cursory glance at the Bible, they get a little intimidated. But you have to get biblical orientation. You have to find your way. You have to understand how to connect the pieces together. But the Jews really believed that there were epical moments in Jewish history that shaped the history of the world. Now, as the, the Word of God outlines these historical events, as the Bible declares them by prophecy, they were spoken by men of old and, and they were spoken into existence by the spoken word, just like we see in Genesis chapter 1. As they were spoken by God, 
And as those people in those periods of time were able to pull down those prophetic utterances for they, their day and their time, those prophecies started coming to pass. Now, I, I know that the, the kings that were empowered during those times may not have understood what was happening. There may have been some inconspicuous place where God was speaking to a man or woman, and they may have been surrounded by armies and kings and powers, but as that individual looked up into the heavens and considered what God had spoken and said God I want your kingdom to come to pass in my day they were able by prayer and worship and by prophecy to pull things down into their day and change their world but as they were changing their world they were not just changing the micro but they were affecting the macro They weren't just changing their life and their home and their family, but they were tethering themselves to the universal kingdom and they were pulling down realities that were bigger than they were. I'm telling you, you've got the power today by your own prophetic utterance to pull down prophecies that are eternal and universal and change the history of the world. That's why the Bible says that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people and you've been called to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are not a people but you have become a people. You are not a nation, but you have become a nation. And in you, all the nations of the world can be blessed. Now, as these things unfolded for the people of God, as they realized, realized means to make real or actual, to be seen or to be made visible. As they realized these epical moments, they they begin to canonize the words written and they begin to write as they were inspired and anointed by God. And then they begin to write songs about, because those prophecies were significant, they became transcendent songs. And, and they taught the songs to their children and, and they sang the songs of the hundreds of songs in scripture. Jewish religious leaders outlined ten that they considered to be shirat. The ten shirat are the historical songs that the Hebrew people sing which they believe mark the epics in Jewish and world history. To this day the Jewish people are still teaching their children these songs. They are to be sung religiously marking the significant epical moments in human history. Religious Jews believe so much in prophecy that they literally believe that they are the central people in the human narrative, that their history is the epicenter of world history. You think about the fact that they were scattered multiple times upon the face of the earth. It is incredible. It is bizarre and unbelievable to think about the fact that there's never been another nation in the history of the world that's been scattered to the four winds and regathered again. But for the nation of Israel, it's happened twice. And they understand that no matter where they are in the world, that they believe that they are the epicenter of what God is doing in the earth. 
And so when they heard the carrion call, they were in Germany and Russia and scattered across the world. But in the 19, early 1900s, they heard the word of God internally in their spirit. And they began to be drawn inexorably back toward a place that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Never before in the history of the world had there been a people who had lost their national identity and lost their language and become assimilated into another culture. Never before had there been a people who were able to be regathered and maintain that national identity. But born on the wings of a prophecy, the nation of Israel, if you look at a pre-1940 map, there is no Israel on the map. But after 1940, the geographers had to start adjusting the history books because from the four winds, the people of God started marching back toward the Holy Land. I'm telling you, if that doesn't fill you with faith today, I don't know what can. This word of God says about itself that it is forever settled in the heavens. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but not one jot or tittle of this book is going to expire. If your life is built on the word of God today, you've got a sure foundation. Most secular historians, they examine the world through secular history by the significant events that carnal thinking and perspective will, will itemize. But scripture doesn't do this. If you were sitting in a history class today, you would hear about civilizations like ancient Mesopotamia, Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece, Rome. You might hear of men like Nero and Nebuchadnezzar and Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great. Or women like Helen of Troy or Attila the Hun or Rosa Parks. You would hear about all these natural people and these natural events. You might hear about the Franco-Persian War or World War I or World War II or even the Napoleonic Wars. You would study ancient Sparta, maybe examine the Code of Hammurabi or even take a ride down the Nile River. But while you're examining those things parallel to the most significant events in human history is a biblical timeline that intersects human history in a profound way. The history teacher would build a statue for you with a head of gold and shoulders and chest of silver and thighs of brass and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. But God pulls back the curtain for us by the prophet Daniel to let us know that there is a kingdom coming. And the only way to describe that kingdom to you today is in poetic language. He said, while I was staring at this indomitable image, the monument to all human success, achievement, and accomplishment. I saw a stone plucked out of the mountain without hands, and it's going to strike all the kingdoms of the world, and they are going to be ground to powder, and that stone is going to become a great mountain, and it will fill the whole earth. And John the Revelator finishes the vision in Revelation chapter 11 when he says the physical world will be 
become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. That is the kingdom today that they were singing about. That is the kingdom today that we are preaching about. That is the kingdom that we knock doors about and lay hands on the sick about. That is the kingdom that we are rallying around today and it's second to none. It doesn't have an equal. It doesn't have anything to compare it to. Jewish people, the biblical historical events that unfold in Scripture mark the most important events in history. In their mind, all linear human history is trumped by prophetic biblical history. So they teach their children that there are these ten epical events in Scripture. The first surat is found in Psalms 92. It is a song of the Sabbath to be sung on the day of rest. While celebrating the Sabbath day, it was sung on the way to the temple. Psalms 92, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. To show your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. For thou, O Lord, has made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands, O Lord. How great are thou works and thy thoughts are very deep. He says, a brutish man doesn't know about it neither does a fool understand it when the wicked spring up like the grass and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish it is it is that they shall be destroyed forever but thou, O Lord, are most high. It was an orientation passage. It was something that helped them know how to make their way into the house of God. He goes on to say, but my horn shall you exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes shall also see my desire on mine enemies, and my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar. And I'm telling you, sometimes it doesn't feel like everything's working out in your life. But as the children of Israel make their way into the temple, they started talking about how big their God was. They started looking around and say, you see the palm tree? I'm like the palm tree. Brother Williams was talking about it this morning. He can survive every storm because he's flexible and he's strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For the Jewish people, the first epic in the human story was the creation of the world, which culminated on the Sabbath day. And as you know, you've been taught the Sabbath becomes the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. There's significance to all of that, but I don't have time for it today. So they teach their children the song of the Sabbath. The second epical moment is found in Exodus 15. It is sung by Moses and Miriam and the children of Israel as they first look back on the Egyptian army swallowed up under the Red Sea. Exodus 15, the Jews teach their children. Then said Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Thank you, sir. The horse and the rider have been cast into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. God has become my salvation. The church is still singing that song today. Come on, if you got a past today, if you came into the house of God, you came singing the horse, and the rider has been cast into the sea. I'm not going to read the entire passage today, but they're still teaching their children this psalm, Exodus chapter 15. 
They sing it to mark the second significant shift in human history, the deliverance of the people of God from Egypt. The third epic is found in Numbers chapter 21. The nation of Israel was in transition and Aaron had just died. Before passing, God took the garments off of Aaron and placed this, them onto Eleazar, his son, who became priest in his stead. The wilderness is behind them, and Canaan is now before them, and there is transition happening among the people of God. And as this is happening, a new generation has to rise up and fight battles. And the Bible tells us that, 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 the, that, the, uh, that, the, that the enemy of the people of God is standing before them, the Amorites. And, and the Hebrews were being ambushed by the Amorites who hid in caves as the Hebrews were preparing to cross the Jordan River. And they are on their way to Canaan after 40 years of wandering in the Sinai Desert. Numbers chapter 21 is the next epic that they teach their children and from thence they went to beer that is the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses gather the people together and I will give them water then Israel sang this song spring up Oh well, sing ye unto it. They teach their children to sing the song, Spring Up, Oh Well. Because everybody carrying the Ark of the Covenant preceded the Hebrews. It caused the mountains to sink and the valleys to rise. And it crushed the Amorites in their hideouts in the caves. And the Hebrews would not have noticed had God not caused this event to happen. But there was a well of water which accompanied them. And it throwed up pieces of the corpses that were buried under the pile of rubble. This is the miracle created by God. It resulted in the Hebrews bursting forth in the song of the well in commemoration of this miraculous event. And the people of God today still sing the song spring up a well from in my soul. Spring. Come on. Every thought I've ever had. Every emotion I've ever had that was not congruent with the word that the Bible tore down that stronghold. I'll commemorate that by singing the song Spring Up a Well. The fourth is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It was a final song of warning, a promise from God to the nation of Israel before Moses died. This song was sung by Moses to help assure the spiritual future of the Hebrews. Their great leader was about to die. And it included words of warning, of instruction, and of hope. And it reaffirmed God's care and love for the Israelites. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak and hear, earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop like rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. From all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he they have corrupted themselves their spot is not the spot of his children they are a perverse and a crooked generation he says remember the days of old consider the years of many generations ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you and he begins to reiterate the, the plan and the purpose of God by the word of God and I won't read it all for the sake of time but he says I, God tells Moses I will make my arrows 
drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy remember O ye nations with his people for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and God will be merciful to this land and to his people and Moses came and spake the words of this song in the ears of the people he and Hosea the son of Nun so this was a moment where the man of God Moses was declaring to Joshua the promises of God and the penalties for failure to conform and the people began to sing the song that Joshua and Moses sang to them this is the reminder from God about what he was going to do in Canaan's land it reminds them that God establishes our borders in the fifth epoch or epic, it is found in Joshua 10 and 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, standst thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ahilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, because when the word of God goes forth that he's going to do something, everything in creation is in alignment with that word of God. I'm telling you everything, the storm that blows upon the coast, the wind that drives the trees in your life, everything is working. And so this, this epoch, this epic is a reminder to the people of God that God controls the cosmos, that God controls the wind and the waves and the storm. And so to this day, they still sing this song to their children. It's a reminder to them that God is in complete control. And as a result of this epic, the children of Israel go into the promised land. And they still sing about it today. The sixth is taken from Judges the, of the sons, the songs of Deborah. Judges chapter 5, then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Binoham, on the day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Oh, hear, O kings, give ear, ye princes. I, even I, will sing a song. I'm going to sing a song to the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped and the clouds also dropped waters. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even Sinai, from before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through the byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel. People couldn't even travel because there was so much violence in the land. Until that I, Deborah, arose. She's singing a song to God. She's saying until a woman arose who bought into what God said it could be. I arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. She said they brought the battle to the door of my house. But I found a word from God. And I took the battle back to the adversary. She said the highways to the house were unoccupied. But a mama woke up and said not today devil not on my watch and not in my home not with my babies a mama rose up when a daddy wouldn't do it and today the Israelites still sing the song of Deborah 
they still sing the song that when a man won't do the job, there's a woman who can get a word from God and break through for her babies. I can't read all the scripture. We could take break this down and do it for weeks and weeks, but I got to get to a conclusion today because you got a party scheduled and we're going to sing and dance and shout and have a good time. The seventh epic is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's the epic of the barren. The one waiting for a promise to come to pass. Ah, oh, waiting for something to be born. You feel greatness in you. But you have a difficult time conceiving or to, to bring it forth. And, and sometimes promises tarry. And sometimes visions tarry. The, the Hebrew people still sing the song of Hannah. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoiced in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none beside him. Neither is there any rock like our God. She begins to talk about how the bowls of the mighty were broken. And the one who rose up against her was diminished. And her, her, the one who was provoking her was put aside because of what God promised in her life by his word had come to pass. God kills and makes alive. He brings, brings down to the grave and he brings back up. God makes poor and God makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up I'm telling you this is an epic that each one of us has to have in our life that even when we go down to the grave it is God that gives life and it is God that takes life but we've got to get a made up mind that no matter what happens in my life blessed be the name of the Lord today the Hebrew people are still teaching their children in everything give thanks Marks the transition from judges and into the interrelationship between the prophets and the kings in Israel. The eighth epic is found in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Musicians, you can go ahead and come. The eighth epic is found in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and Psalms chapter 18. And it is the celebration of God's deliverance from the hand of Saul and the establishment of David's throne. This song is significant because David is one of the progenitors of the Hebrew people and the Israelite nation. He is one of the ones that would be given credit for the producing of the Christ. But he had an adversary in his life. David was going to be the prototype. He was going to be the one that would be the, the, the measuring stick or the benchmark for every king in Israel. We are kings and priests above all men today. In theory, in concept, in, in ideal of God, each person sitting on this pew is a king and a priest before God. But it is amorphous, it is undeveloped, it is unactualized until there is a time appointed of the Father. And what David has to endure is David has to endure a season of loneliness and brokenness and being marginalized and being put outside of the camp or kept outside of the camp. And he had an adversary that would come against him. David didn't understand that he was going to be a model because every time another king emerged, 
discouraged in Israel, God would look at the life of that king and he'd say, yeah, he did okay. He did all right, but he didn't live it like my servant David did. But when Jesus would be walking on the earth and the, and the blind man would cry out to Jesus, he would cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. This psalm is the psalm of David after God delivered him from his adversary. Again, I can't read it all today. But in 29, for thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord that lights my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. It is tested. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. God is my strength and power. God makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like hinds feet and setteth me up in my high places. Most of David's life was in a life sitting up in the, in the, on the mountaintop in a high place. It was running and hiding in caves. It was being in a sheepfold. It was being forgotten and marginalized and being the smallest. But he said when the time came for the word of God to come to fruition in my life, it was God that set me up. Up, and it was God that strengthened me and it was God that gave me the capacity to walk in high places he gave me strength and stability in my high places he teaches my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in my arms Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness has made me great. You have enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. 47, the Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. We still sing the song today. It is God that avenges me, that brings down people under me, and that brings me forth from mine enemies. You have lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto your name. The ninth epic is the entirety of the Song of Solomon. The book that depicts the relationship between God and His covenant people. There is a dance that happens between this woman and the king. This relationship is back and forth. She's seeking him. He's seeking her. He can't be found at times. Brother Urshan preaches the lover behind the lattice. He is constantly disclosing. He is constantly hiding and revealing with humanity. And today, the Jews still teach their children that God is seeking for you. That God is looking for you. And they teach their children to sing the song, the epic of the plan and purpose of God. But the final song is called Mashiach. It's a song that they simply call the unsung song. To this day, the Jews call the final song the song that we cannot sing. The reason that they don't sing the song is because they do not believe that the final epic has happened. 
So they say you can't sing it until it comes to fruition. They believe they teach their children that when this final prophecy comes to pass, it will usher in the end of time and the final establishment of the kingdom of God upon the earth. They tell their children, baby, we can't sing this song yet because this final prophecy has yet to come to pass. But as soon as we see it happen, we can begin to pick up the instruments again. As soon as you see this begin to happen, the kingdom has come. That prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 9. The song that is on the lips of the Jewish people, but not yet sung. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward did give more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Can't sing this yet. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy, joy in harvest. And as of men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden. The yoke's not broken for them yet. And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. It hasn't happened for them yet. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. There are going to be garments rolled in blood. And there's going to be confused noise when this prophecy comes to pass. But this shall be with burning and a fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us. They don't sing the song. Unto us a son is given. They can't sing the song. Something's coming that's going to be like a vesture dipped in blood. But we can't sing about it yet. Something's coming like a child born. Like a son given. But we can't talk about it yet. Our hearts are hanging on the willows because we can't sing the song because we're living in a strange land. But when it comes to pass, it's going to be like a burning fire. It's going to be an avenging force against the oppressive work of my adversary. But we can't sing the song yet. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful <laughs> Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But we can't sing the song yet of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. 
But baby, you can't sing the song yet. You can't talk about it yet. You can't sing about it yet. You can't play the song yet. Upon his throne, the throne of David. You see, this prophecy, this epic is connected back to the man David. Back to an epic we've already sang. But not this song. You can't sing this song yet. And upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth to forever. You know what this is telling me? This is telling me that when this prophecy comes to pass, from that moment forward, there will be no diminishing of the increase of his government and his his peace to establish it forever and ever and ever. What's going to happen when this kingdom comes? It's going to bring, all right, here's a 2021 word for you. It's going to bring justice. But a lot of people can't sing the song. Of the kingdom that brings justice because they're still waiting on America to do it. Still waiting on the police to get it right. Still waiting on the politicians to get it right. What do you sing when the world requires of you a song? Well, there's no justice. America never was the answer for justice. America never was the answer for bringing people together. It never was the answer for riding the balances. The zeal of the Lord is going to perform it. But we can't sing this song yet. Jesus stood in the temple. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. The zeal of the, the rights, the right arm of God, the power of God is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to be the mighty God. And he stood there and he was shining the light, but they could not sing the song. The Lord sent a word unto Jacob and it hath lighted upon Israel like a dove descending upon a nation lighting <laughs> a destined people a prophetic people Oh, man, how much those little Jewish babies, mama, daddy, babies, boys and girls want to sing the song, but they can't sing the song because they cannot see that the epic has come. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people have held the trumpet to their mouth, the psaltery in hand, the cymbals ready to strike. Generation after generation has waited with bated breath to sing the song. They have waited for the final epic. But God put a veil over their eyes for our sake. So that in seeing they see not. And in hearing they hear not. Lest the glorious light of the gospel be revealed to them. He said lest I, I forgive their sins and heal their land. But the light of God has shone to the Gentile church. You are the people today. You are the recipient of the revelation of the mighty God in Christ.
even Matthew saw the connection to Isaiah 9 when the gospel opens in chapter 4. Now when, the G, when, when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalium. That it might be fulfilled what was, which was spoken by the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Natalium. By the way of the sea beyond Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which is set in the region and shadow of death. Light is sprung up. For that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There was a people who were sitting in darkness with no candle, with no illumination, with no revelation. But light came to them. This is what John was talking about in John chapter 1 when he said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shone in the darkness and the darkness couldn't comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. That is the true light that lighteth every man that enters into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him but the world didn't know him but to as many as have received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God they were born not of the blood nor the will of flesh nor the will of man but of God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth the light came and it shone in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. It could not apprehend it. It could not overtake it because the darkness is not a force. Only light is a force. Darkness can only exist where light refuses to shine. Light always overtakes darkness. Good always over. There's power in your revelation today. There's power in your anointing today to to push back, to dispel the darkness and shine the light of God. For 2,000 years, the Jews have been waiting for the final song. 
They've been waiting to hear the song play. They've been sitting by on instruments, hanging on willows, waiting on Messiah. But all the while, there's been a Gentile church that's been singing a song. It's a song with lyrics that the Jews don't understand. It's a song with lyrics that the Trinitarians don't understand. It's a song. Behold, a virgin's going to be with child and she's going to bring forth a son and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. For a long time, they didn't know what that meant. But the writer Matthew would say that Emmanuel means God with us and neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? God has become our salvation. It's a song that the Jews don't know how to sing. You see, we were a wild branch. We were not a people. We were running to and fro on the earth, acting all kinds of crazy. But the gospel came. The knock came on the door. The Jews were blinded, but there was a mama who when the preacher came knocking on the door, said the church across town may not want the revelation. The church across town may not tell me the truth, but I understand something. I got babies going crazy. I'm hooked on drugs and alcohol. My life is messed up, and if you can help me, I'll go to that church. I'm telling you, you're at a place today where you can receive spirit and truth. It's a song that the world can't sing, but God will give you the song. I said, God will give you the song today. One more scripture and we're done. I read a lot of scripture today. John gives us a little greater revelation. Revelation chapter 14. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 who have the Father's name. Now that's pretty important because the only place in Scripture we get a name for God is in the manifestation of the man Christ Jesus. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father above, who's above all, through all, and in you all. That means the name of Jesus is over the Holy Ghost living inside of me. That the name of Jesus is what I receive when I get baptized. voice from heaven they had the name of the father written across their foreheads and I heard a voice from heaven as of the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps and they sung as it were look at your neighbor and say a new song 
the song that the Jews have been waiting to sing, but as of yet, they hadn't been able to sing it. But he said, I saw a people in heaven with the name of Jesus on their forehead. They had harpers harping. They were having high church, and they were singing a song. They were standing before the angels. They were standing before the four beasts. They were standing before the elders. Now, when you saw the elders going all the way back to Abraham. Now, let me stop and tell you, everybody who thinks that God is a a misogynist and God is a racist and all of that kind of, because that's the stuff you hear out in the streets today. Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham was the son of an idol maker. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. He was Chaldean. Okay? So, so he, was, he was not a Jew. God took a guy who was nobody and he made him something. And the Hebrew people came out of a people who were not a people who God gave a promise and made a people. God is not a racist, baby. God loves everybody just the same. But if you could see the elders in heaven, they would look like this distinguished group right here. You got the the four-headed beast, whatever that is. And you got got all kind of different representations there. But he's got a 144,000 member choir. And they're singing a song that nobody has heard yet. And the elders, the ones who we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, where it said that they, the elders, without us, cannot be made perfect. So a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, Holy Ghost-filled church is the completion of what God started in the Old Testament. So they pick up their harps and they start singing a song that the angels can't sing, that the four-headed beast can't sing, and that the elders can't sing. They've got a name on their forehead. His name is Jesus. Isaiah 7 and 14, Isaiah 9 and 6. The mighty God. All the fullness of the God had dwelt bodily in the man, Christ Jesus. There was no separation. Trinity belched up out of false religion. That's how you reconcile Matthew 28, 19 with Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that's the song of the redeemed that's the song of Isaiah chapter 9 but they can't sing it because they don't know the words but you know the words to the mama daddy you got a song that they don't know the words to so you gotta sing your song, your song, your song. Woo. 
144 elders which were redeemed 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth these were they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins they are that which follow the lamb whithersoever he goes because the spirit of Christ is living in the earth today and he's going places the spirit is still leading us but we're following the lamb everywhere that he goes I understand there are all kinds of di different theological interpretations of what's happening with 144,000 elders. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to wax theological about all of that. What I'm telling you is that the Jews are still waiting for Messiah. They are still waiting for the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. They don't know that so many of the things that he did we're fulfilling Bible prophecy and this is what's going to happen you ready for it Jesus is going to descend to the earth the mountain's going to split in half he's going to appear before the Jews he's going to deliver them he's going to save them they're going to look at each other they're going to say it's time get the harp Get the tabernacle. Get the cymbals. It's time to sing the song. They're going to say, he's come. Messiah has come. He's going to open up his arms to receive them. They're ready to throw a party. Kind of what we did so far today. They're going to be ready. They're going to be ready to sing. Stop the song. Where did you hold the harp? Where did, where did you get those nail prints? Where did, where did you get those nail prints? You're God! Where did you receive? What's that? What are those? Impressions on your forehead. They're ready to sing the song. They're ready to declare a Messiah. He's going to say, I got these in the house of my friends. And the drumsticks are going to fall from their hands. The harp is going to fall to the ground. For 2,000 years, 
the song has been being sung generation after generation of apostolic kids have been singing the song while generation after generation of Jewish baby their lips has been singing a secular song and they're going to they're going to fall down on their knees and they're going to begin to weep. And today, the dispensation of the Gentiles is still in effect. But the window is coming to a close. And you are the people that know the words to the song. What you feel in this place right now is the spirit of the song. If you're here today and you've never received the outpouring of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues, it was prophecy. It's the thing, it's the force that's going to destroy the yoke. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The yoke is able to be destroyed because of the anointing. If you need the Holy Ghost here today, you can receive it now. What you've just heard is the words to the song. That the church has been singing since the day of Pentecost. This doctrine does not go back to the Reformation. This doctrine does not go back to the Nicene Council. And it is not connected to an extra biblical creed. But this goes back to what was preached in Acts chapter 2. Number one, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Number two, they were confused and marveled because they heard men speaking in other tongues. Number three, Peter stood up with the eleven and said, These are not drunk like you supposed, considering it's just the third hour of the day. But this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions and your old women are going to dream. Your old men are going to dream dreams. And upon my servants and on my handmaids when I pour out of my spirit in that day. And then he went on to preach, you got to repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to your children's children and to all those that are afar off. That's the song that the Jews can't sing. That's the song that the angels cannot sing. But that's the song that the people of God have been singing. And let me tell you something. This song is bigger than me. I'm a young man. I'm only 38 years old. But it's the song that was sung to me by my Bible study teaching dad. And it's the song that was sung to me by my praying mama. And it's the song that was sung by my grandmother. And it's the song that was sung by my pastor. And this is the song 
song that's been being sung all the way back to the day of Pentecost. And if you want it today, you can have it. If you want Jesus' name to be put over you in baptism today, you can be baptized today for the remission of your sins. And you can lift up your hands and begin to praise God. And as you do, you'll begin to speak in another language. You're going to begin to sing the song. Let's all stand today. Let's all stand and lift up our hands and begin to magnify the Lord from the front to the back, from the side to the side. Let's all begin to sing the song. Hey! We break through. Come we on, break through. Come to the front pray. We break through. And magnify we break God. through. We Come break on, through. We break 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 through. All right. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, show me your hand really quick. If you would like to be baptized today for the remission of your sins, raise your hand. Come to the front right up here. Come on, come up to the front. Anybody want to be baptized today? I'm telling you, you're going to be a new creature. Anybody who's been baptized in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Come on. If you want to be baptized today, why don't you make your way to the front? If you want to receive the Holy Ghost today, if you've never received the Holy Ghost, lift your hands for just a moment so that we know we're going to pray with you. If you need a miracle today, the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. They're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. They're going to speak with new tongues. If you need a miracle today, I want you to come to the front. We're going to pray with you. Come on, the Bible says, are any sick among you or any infirm? Let them call for the elders of the church, and the prayer of faith is going to save them. Come on, you can be saved today by a prayer of faith. Your, your need can be answered. I'm telling you, hey, I don't care if you're in the church. This is your first Sunday. I want you to go ahead and come to the front if you need God to do something in your life. And as you come... I want you just to signify that you need something by lifting up your hands and closing your eyes and begin to talk to God. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come up and pray for you. We're going to have some people of faith to come and pray with you. And they're going to ask you what you need. And we're going to pray that God will answer you today. Come on, as they begin to sing, let's pray. Mountains move, chains are loose. We break through Mountains move Chains are loose We break through Mountains move Chains are loose We break through Mountains move Chains are loose We break through We break through We break through We break through 
chains are loose, we break through. 